Would you please join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, awesome God, what a privilege it is to be in your sanctuary today, this place of beauty where we come together to worship, to sit at your feet, to be nourished and fed, and then sent back into the brokenness of the world, there to live out what it means to be followers and disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless your word this morning to refresh and to renew your people, giving them the strength to do what you call us all to do. We ask it in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. The word of God that I would like to set before you this morning for our consideration is a great vision of the prophet Isaiah. He records this experience in the sixth chapter of his book, and it reads this way. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he has taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. This will be our text. Sons and daughters of our Father in heaven, brothers and sisters in the family of our Lord Jesus Christ, members and friends of St. John's Lutheran Church, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we did it again this morning, as we so often do. After that opening hymn, we began with what we call the invocation. That means we call upon Almighty God, the creator of the cosmos, the creator of the universe, to be present among us. That's a beautiful thing. But at the same time, it can be a terrifying thing because we do it so casually and so easily without really thinking about what we have done to invite the Almighty God into our presence to be among us. British theologian J.B. Phillips, about the middle of the last century, wrote a fascinating little book entitled, Your God is Too Small. The point is, you simply cannot fit the majesty and the greatness of God into a size seven and a half cranium. He's just too big for that. The Bible puts it this way. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? 
His ways are not our ways. His ways are past finding out. But God knows that left to our own devices, we're never going to understand and figure him out. So he bends down to our level and comes to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to reveal the mind of God, his plan, his purpose, his vision for you and for me. And this morning, we would like to use this vision of Isaiah to catch a glimpse and a clear vision of God wants us as his people and disciples to be. So let's begin with that vision of Isaiah, high and lifted up, he sees God sitting upon a throne. If we look at creation that God has made, we have to stand in wonder and awe. These angels saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And if you'll just open your eyes and look at creation, the mountains, the rivers, the flora, the fauna, the beauty of the earth, you've got to be impressed with the almighty power of our creator, God. I recall an experience that our family had a number of years ago. We had traveled to the East Coast to Cape Cod, and one day we took the ferry boat over to Nantucket Island. We spent the day there, and it was time to head back to Cape Cod. We got on the deck of the ferry boat, and it was time for sunset. We watched as that kaleidoscope of colors changed until finally the sun sank gloriously into the sea. And on that top deck, the whole crowd burst out into applause. For whom? Well, for the creator, of course. But if you really want to see the beauty of the earth, perhaps the best vantage point to see it is from space. I suspect as I look out over the crowd today, most of you were around 50 years ago when Apollo 11 landed on the moon and Neil Armstrong stepped out and said, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Those first astronauts were profoundly affected in a deep and spiritual way by what they saw from the moon. Gene Cernan, the last man to walk on the moon, put it this way, I felt that the world was just too beautiful to have happened by accident. There has to be something bigger than you and bigger than me. There has to be a creator of the universe. James Irwin, who began that journey to the moon where he spent three days, said at that time I was just a nominal Christian, a kind of a bump on the log Christian. But he said those three days on the moon changed his life profoundly and he was never again the same. That view from space makes all of us stand back and say what an awesome creator God we have. Wow. But the interesting thing is what happened to Isaiah. As he saw this magnificent vision of God high and lifted up, sitting on his throne with angels flying and singing his praises, the interesting thing is he doesn't say, wow, would you look at that? What he says is, whoa, 
Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Woe is me. His life is laid bare. He stands naked before God. He knows that there's not a single thing hidden from the eyes of the Almighty God. And he says, woe is me, I am undone. And as we stand in the presence of that almighty, holy God, we have got to say the same. In his great poem, The Rubiat, Omar Khayyam puts it this way. The moving finger writes, and having writ, moves on, and not all your piety nor wit can call it back to erase so much as half a line of it. What we have written, we have written, and it stands as an indictment, an accusation against us, for we too are numbered among the people of unclean lips and unclean hands and unclean deeds. And like Isaiah, we have to say, woe, woe is me, I am undone. But thank God he is not done. Let's look at what happens next in this vision of Isaiah. An angel takes the tongs, flies to the altar, picks up a glowing coal, and touches it to the lips of Isaiah. And he says, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is covered, your sin is forgiven. Amazing grace. And that's exactly what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He sends him to that high altar of the cross to lay down his life for us. Let's go back to James Irwin for just a moment. After he got back from the moon, he spent one more year with NASA and then he retired. And he went about many different places as a self-proclaimed ambassador for Jesus Christ. He said to people, the most important person in the world is Jesus Christ because he is the answer to all of our needs. Far more important is that Jesus Christ walked on planet Earth than that man walked on the moon. Think about what Jesus Christ did when he walked on planet Earth. Follow him along the pathways as he deals with people. Finally, all the way to that high altar on Golgotha. There Jesus says, if I am lifted up, and he was talking about the cross, I will draw all men to myself. With that invitation of come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he gave it to that woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. He gave forgiveness to those who put him on the cross and to a dying thief. And he offers that same forgiveness to you and to me. Your iniquity is covered and your sin is forgiven. I went to the seminary way back in the middle of the last century and perhaps the best known theologian in the world at the time was a Swiss by the name of Dr. Karl Barth. He wrote weighty tombs 
of theology, 14 books on Christian doctrine alone. He made a tour to the United States somewhere along his career path and visited mostly college and university campuses. It was after one of his presentations that there was a question and answer period. And one of the students asked him this question, Dr. Barth, of all the things that you learned out of your study of deep theology, what do you consider to be the most important of all? He thought for a moment, and this is how he responded. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's often been said, well, maybe not often enough, that in the Bible, the main things are the plain things. And the plain things are the main things. There are times when you just can't get your head around the immensity, the awesomeness of God. Hang on to this simple truth. It's the mainest and the plainest of them all. God loves you in Jesus Christ. Your iniquity is covered and your sin is forgiven. You are a child of the Heavenly Father. Awesome. Awesome indeed. But that's not the end. That's not how this story ends. We need to go back one more time to the vision of Isaiah and hear what happens next. A voice calls out, whom shall we send and who will go for us? And Isaiah knows that as the recipient of God's amazing grace, there's only one answer. And he says, here am I, send me. And God says, go tell this people. Now the question is, how will we respond to the amazing grace of God? Well, God has a plan and a purpose for his people. He wants to use us to be sent back into the brokenness of the world, to share there with the people the love and compassion of our almighty God. Somewhere in Paul's writing, he says this, God is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. That's why we pray, thy will be done on earth, because we want to do what God wants us to do. Now that's a big assignment. And when God calls us to do something, he never sends us out alone or unprepared. The way that God works in the lives of his people is something that we call the means of grace. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. It begins there at that baptismal font when God puts his name and claim on us and says, you're my child in time and for eternity. I wanna talk for just a moment about two different altars. There's this magnificent altar here at St. John's Church. In some churches, they have embellished on the altar itself, do this in remembrance of me. It reminds us of what Jesus did at the altar of the cross, laying down his life. It is from this altar that he offers to us his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. It is to this altar that we bring our prayers and petitions it is to this altar that we bring our sacrificial gifts to carry on the work of God in the brokenness of the world. This is an important altar, but it's not the only one. There's another altar out there 
in the world. St. Paul puts it this way, Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you by the mercies of God that you would offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God wants us to go back into that brokenness of the world, where in today's gospel lesson we're reminded of how people have fallen among thieves, robbed sometimes by their own fault, sometimes by no fault of their own, of all kinds of things. They are the broken ones. They are people of unclean lips and unclean hearts, and God sends us into that broken world. One of my favorite prayers comes from the agile mind of a French Catholic priest by the name of Michael Coist. In a little book simply entitled Prayers, he pens these words. Lord, I would like to rise very high above my time, above my place, above my city. I would like to purify my glance and borrow your eyes. So what would we see when we leave today and tomorrow and go back into the world? if we looked at it through the eyes of Christ. Well, we would see what he sees. Broken people, people who have fallen among thieves. And the question is, how do we respond? Remember what Jesus says in that great judgment scene from Matthew chapter 25? I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was naked and in prison, and you came and visited me, for inasmuch as you've done it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. That's what he would have us do. That's his vision for us as redeemed, sanctified, renewed disciples of Christ. That's probably a good place to say amen, but before I do, there's one more point. We began this morning invoking God to be in our presence and to bless us. And before we leave today, God wants to bless us once again. These are the brackets that enclose this service. Begin with his blessing and then sent forth by his blessing, whether it be that Old Testament blessing of Aaron, the Lord bless you and keep you and so forth, for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. God wants to send us forth with his blessing to be a blessing to others. What an awesome thought that is. And what a good time to say amen. And so I will. Amen. <laughs> now may the peace of God that passes all our understanding keep our hearts and our minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.